With a deep sigh, the village doctor turns back to his patient. She is a constant visitor to his office here off the market square. With the same look, her face gray and drawn and tightened around the mouth, she looks back at him as she always does, hopeful yet mostly resigned. She has been coming to him week by week, month by month, year by year for, he'd have to guess, something over a decade now. He makes another note and then turns again to their habitual conversation. No change, I'm afraid, he says. None? None, I'm sorry to say. Have you been taking that herbal compound I referred you to? Every day. Are you absolutely certain, doctor? There is no change, he says, somewhat annoyed. Then comes his least favorite part of these regular consultations. And now, he says, about your bill. You are a number of months behind, I'm sure you realize. The gray-faced woman sitting before him is certainly aware. She has, in fact, brought with her the remainder of her earthly means. These few small coins are clutched in her hand in a leathern purse. She thrusts them forward to him without another word. The doctor takes the purse and doesn't bother to count the coins. He is, of course, aware that this is all she has and that it's nowhere near enough. But it's better to let her go without argument or awkwardness. The woman rises to her feet and takes a fold of her cloak in her hand. A look of resolution is spreading across her haggard face. I will not be coming to you anymore, doctor, she says. Oh, have I done something to offend you? No, but we have reached, I recognize, the end of what you can do for me. There is nothing further you can do in my case, is there? The doctor shrugs his shoulders. The woman walks to the door. So I will go this day to see the healer, she says. He is Jesus, and he heals. The doctor watches her walk through the door and then sighs again. Within an hour, he is summoned with great urgency by a pair of breathless servants to attend to the daughter of one of the most venerated citizens of this stretch of the coast. He takes up his bag and rushes along with the servants up the hill, turning to the left at the top, and arrives at the home of the chiefest of the synagogue rulers. The whole house is deathly quiet. All await his arrival. He follows the servants in through the great room, into a back bedroom. A little girl, twelve years old, lies on the bed, shivering with fever. The doctor approaches the bed, does a swift examination. The little girl's father waits anxiously within the doorway. Well, he says, as the doctor turns around. The village doctor is uncertain of what to say. Truth be told, the case is a hopeless one, almost a guarantee of death before the sun set arises, and yet what to say to such a man as Jairus? A negative word from such as him could paralyze the doctor's practice. So he says, 
I will be praying for her throughout the day. Praying? The father nearly shouts. What use are your prayers to me as my daughter lays here dying? I have called you here for diagnosis and a cure. Do not speak to me as you do to all those other fools. What can you do for my daughter? The doctor feels a sudden rise of courage. Frankly, sir, nothing, he says. You are telling me she may die of this? The father asks. I am sorry to say that she will, in fact, die of this, the doctor answers. Perhaps even later this afternoon. The father sits down in the chair beside the bed. He puts his hands over his face. He begins to weep. But the doctor, of a sudden, has a thought. He takes a step forward, places his hand on that shoulder, racked by sobs. You know, I hear from another patient that the healer, Jesus, may be returning today. The father looks up into the eyes of the doctor. You too are one of those who believe in that nonsense, he asks. The doctor shrugs. Nonsense or no, it's certainly worthy of a try. The father leaves the room without another word, or even bothering to pay. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side of the lake, having been ejected nearly bodily from the seaside edge of the Gerizines, having, lest we forget, set free a local demon-possessed man who went by the name of Legion, a great crowd collected around him as he stood on the shore. The word of his return had come in with a crew of sailors who'd seen him out on the water. As always, the shops and businesses and schools had emptied out toward the harbor line. The people had all been awaiting him. They pressed close as his foot touches the beach. Then came a man called Jairus, one of the synagogue presidents. He had run down the hill, uncaring of the look of his grief-stained face, and the crowd all parted from the western side as they saw someone of such eminence approach. He made his way through the midst of the people who watched him coming. And when he saw Jesus, he knelt before him, pleading desperately for his help. My little girl is dying, he said. Will you come and put your hands on her? Then she will get better and live. An utter silence hangs over this whole tableau. Hundreds of local townspeople, mouths open, staring in shock at the look of their leading citizen kneeling on the stinking kelp-covered beach. That man himself, his face red and puffy from tears, clenching his hands in the attitude of prayer, waiting in breathless hope for the answer of the man before him. That man, Jesus, standing and looking into the eyes of Jairus. His whole attention upon this man, who he knows, does not yet believe. The two or three seconds that elapse between the request and the response will always live on in the memory of all who stood there, experienced them. And Jesus, immediately and and without comment, went off with him, followed by large crowds jostling at his elbow. They walked up and out of the harbor shore area, 
into the squeeze of the main street that led through the town and toward the hillside back of town. In that main street, the pressure of the crowd became uncomfortably close all around the healer. He walked along, unconcerned. Now among them was the woman who had had a hemorrhage for twelve years and who had gone through a great deal at the hand of many doctors, spending all her money in the process. She had derived no benefit from them, but, on the contrary, was getting worse. This woman had heard about Jesus and came up behind him under cover of the crowd and touched his cloak. For if I can only touch his clothes, she said, I shall be all right. The last few seconds before were the greatest affliction of all. She'd been waiting through the latter part of the morning, after leaving the doctors, sitting in the shade of a low tree, watching as the crowd grew larger and larger along the shore. As the boat of the healer approached, she slowly stood to her feet. She kept to the periphery as he landed and stepped onto the beach. She watched the press of the crowd. She saw the arrival and request of Jairus, just like everyone else. She followed the movement of the crowd up the beach into the squeeze and shade of the main street. She began to notice the way the others were beginning to notice her. She was perfectly aware that she was ceremonially unclean and the cause of others' potential ceremonial uncleanliness. She felt the stabbing of the eyes in the crowd around her. And then she drew near to him. She silently reached out her right hand. And the hemorrhage stopped immediately. The flow stilled absolutely instantly, and she knew in herself that she was cured of her trouble. She turned away from him with the curtain of a 12-year relief falling off her spirit, a sly, joyous sort of smile spreading across her face. But at once, Jesus knew intuitively that power had gone out of him. And he turned round in the middle of the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? The whole crush of the crowd stopped short with these words. Everyone looked at Jesus uncertainly. His disciples, embarrassed, replied, whispering loudly to him, You can see this crowd jostling you. How can you ask... Who touched me? But he looked all round at their faces to see who had done so. The stillness of the crowd became absolute, deafening. Then the woman, scared and shaking all over because she knew that she was the one to whom this thing had happened, came, parting her way through the back of the crowd, moving forward. Everyone, of course, purposely stepped away from her swiftly. And she flung herself before him and told him the whole story. Twelve long years of of her narrative of woe, loneliness, physical suffering, psychological trauma. She poured it out as if at his feet. Jesus stood in the shade of an overhanging awning and listened. Perhaps... Twelve full minutes accounted for her whole history. 
And then he said to her, daughter, it is your faith that has healed you. Go home in peace and be free from your trouble. The woman walks away to the east, free, overwhelmed with joy. While from the west, Jesus sees a group of other men approaching. For while he was still speaking, messengers arrived from the synagogue president's house saying, your daughter is dead. There is no need to bother the master any further. The father's knees instantly buckle. He lists and begins to fall to the ground. But when Jesus heard this message, when he reached out and caught the arm of the father and held him up, when he saw his heartbroken grief, he said firmly, sternly even, now don't be afraid, just go on believing. The father stood to his feet and collected himself. He pointed the way up the hill and began walking that way again. Then Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, James's brother. They arrived at the president's house and Jesus noticed the hubbub and all the weeping and wailing. And as he went in, he said to the people in the house, why are you making such a noise with your crying? The child is not dead. She is fast asleep. They greeted this with a scornful laugh. But Jesus turned them all out and taking only the father and mother and his own companions with him, went into the room where the child was. She was lying on the bed, serene, still, her, her little chin tipped slightly upward. She looked at a glance as if, indeed, she was only taking a restful little nap. Jesus approached the edge of her bed. Then he took the little girl's hand and said to her in Aramaic, a good-natured smile upon his face. Little girl, I tell you to get up. At once, she jumped to her feet, her first breath sucking inward with a great gasp, and walked around the room, for she was 12 years old. She did a pair of laps, circling the room, and then ran over to her mother and father, giving them a hug, and then stopped and stared at the unknown man who'd woken her up. He simply smiled at her and then left the house. This sight sent the others nearly out of their minds with joy. But Jesus gave them strict instructions not to let anyone know what had happened and ordered food to be given to the little girl. All in all, it was a good day for that village and its inhabitants. No one would ever forget that pair of particular healings. The one which was a 12-year ending. And the other, that 12-year-old new beginning.